There is one single variable, one absolutely single variable that will determine, most determine, what your perspective is on any given situation. How you feel about it and what you do with it, how you interpret it, all that stuff. That single variable is not your personality. And that single variable is not uh, your experiences. It's not the set of circumstances that you find yourself in. That one single variable that has the potential to most impact that is what we're going to look at today from what God has to say. We've been going through 2 Corinthians. I invite you to take a look. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, right at the end of chapter 4. Today we're going to focus on two phrases. This little section, these two phrases are going to summarize basically what that one variable is. And these two phrases serve as kind of the bracket of 2 Corinthians 4, verses 13 to 18. So you'll see one of these phrases at the beginning of it, and one of these phrases at the end of it. And I just want to read it. If you have it, you can follow along. It's uh, starting verse verse 13 of uh, 2 Corinthians 4. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that's reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. Ready for the two phrases? Here's the first one of them. The first bracket of this is right at the beginning of verse... 13, I believed, therefore I have spoken. See it? And he's quoting scripture. Paul is, he's writing to these people. He says, it's written, something's been written. I believed, and therefore I've spoken. You say, yeah, I don't understand what that means. He's actually quoting from Psalm 116 here. Now here, here Paul's doing something. He's not really going to teach Psalm 116. All he's really doing is taking a phrase out of a songbook that they know. The, the Psalms were their songbook. That they worship. It was like borrowing a phrase out of a song that you and I would know, that we would sing regularly. And he's going to just borrow the part of the phrase. Because the phrase goes on to say, I, in, if you look at Psalm 116.10, the phrase says, I have believed, therefore I said, I'm afflicted. Paul says, no, remember that one phrase that we sing in that song? I have believed, therefore I said. He stops right there. He's going to pick up on that and say something really important about that. So it's kind of like if you took a phrase and said, you know that song that we sing? But then you changed what, what you were going to use for it. You know, so, so, so if you said, hey, you know, I just met you, and this is crazy. But if you got 10 bucks to give, I could use some money right now. That, that's, it's kind of like I, I've taken a phrase that you might have heard, but now I'm going to give something else I want to say about it. And the summary of what he's saying here is there is something that's been presented to me and I've chosen to believe it. And because I've chosen, it, it's, it's a guaranteed future has been promised to me. I've chosen to believe it. And therefore, that is going to become the primary effector of my perspective and what I have to say, what I have what I've said. Okay, here, here's, here's another way of saying it. This, this past winter, would you say this past winter was a hard winter? Is a hard winter? 
Lots of long, cold, hard days. You know what? This, was, this last winter was not as bad for me, and I, and I realized why. It's because way back last July, we made plans as a family. We decided in the, at spring break time, we were going to go to Southern California, to the old stomping grounds. We haven't been back there for like nine years. So we decided, we, and we went ahead, and we used frequent flyer miles, and we set it up, and we had it, and it was set on, and it was on the calendar, and it was absolutely true that nothing's going to stop us, and we're going on March 20th, we are leaving for California. And it's funny what that did. Because we had horrible, cold, nasty, typical weather around here. And it was weird because I'm usually the first one to complain. I'm usually the one, first one to say, why am I? Why, God, why did you call me here? I was there for crying out loud. Really? I had to come back here? This is, this is just cruel. And none of that happened this year. It wasn't because I was more godly. It wasn't because I was more contented in my state in life. It was because I knew something was guaranteed to come. And every time it snowed and every time it got cold, I looked and I said, 18 more days. 14 more days. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Here's, here's what, that, what happened for me. Here's what Paul's getting at here about something. I have present, I've been presented with something. I've been presented with a picture of a guaranteed future. Absolutely ironclad, guaranteed future. I've been, I've been presented with that and I have now embraced it as something that is true and secure. I believed... So when I did that, that focus on what is to come that's absolutely guaranteed became an effector on my boldness to speak now, on, on what I have been called to do, on, how, on what my attitude is, and my actions are of it, of it. You know, the last day of school, I used to do crazy things on the last day of school. You know, especially like when I was leaving middle school and going into high school, there was this girl I did not have the guts to talk, and I went right up to her. I knew we were going to two different high schools. I went right up to her, and I just said, I want to tell you that I think, man, you are a babe. And she was all offended. (laughs) It didn't happen like the movies, you know, where she just grabs me and says, I thought the same of you. She was just really offended, thought I was sexist and... But you know what? The reason I felt like I had confidence to do that in the presence is because I knew something was true. I was going to walk out of the door and I'd probably never see her again in my life. And I, to my knowledge, I don't know that I ever did. I think the court order might have helped. But, <laughs> but a future reality empowered me for a present statement. And Paul says, here is something that has been true in my life and can be true in people's lives. There's something that's been presented as true. Here's how I know that he's talking about because of what's going to follow in those next verses. There's, a, there's this future guaranteed plan. Here, you want to see what he's talking about that he believed? Look at the next verse. Or keep going. I believe, therefore I've spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Here's what he, what, what, what's been presented. Here it is, verse 14. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and he'll present us with you in his presence. I've been presented with this. I've, he says, I, there is a guaranteed position and a guaranteed condition that I, I know I'm going to be in. The position is, I know that I will be the one who raised Jesus from the dead and he's going to raise me. 
There is a security in that. There's a victory in that. I know how this ends. It is proven to be true. And there's a condition with which I will be raised. The phrase that gets used there, he says, he, he, uh, verse 14, the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us. And it says, and will present us with you in his presence. You may recall a, a phrase that gets used in Ephesians 5 where he says that, that Paul talks about husbands are called to present their wives back to God in the same way God, Christ presents the church. It means there is a, they, they, there's an optimized state about that person. They're presented in their, all their beauty, all their glory, the best that they can be led to do. And Paul says, here's what I know. He's going to raise me and he's going to present me. Very rich phrase there. There is a future that I know about myself that is absolutely guaranteed. By the way, we're going to cheat ahead and look at for, for a little bit. We'll see next week in chapter 5. He says there's a guarantor that's been given to us now to remind us of that. It says in, um, in verse 5-5, uh, We'll start with verse 4. While we're in this tent, my, our bodies, we groan, we're burdened because we don't wish to be unclothed, but be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. So he's talking about eternity to come. And then in verse 5, he says, Now it is God who's made us for this very purpose. And here's, look what he's done. He's given us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as a deposit. It's like a down payment. Guaranteeing what is to come. Reminding us in our internal sense, there is a guaranteed outcome for you. So, let's, let's repeat it. Here's what, he, here's what he believed. He said, I believe something. A guaranteed future was presented to me. I decided to absolutely embrace it. And because I embrace it as true and secure, it becomes the primary effector for how I look at what I'm doing now. The confidence I have in it. The content of it. There are lots of in-between details I might not know, but I do know this. Man, I chose the right team. There's a guaranteed outcome for this. Daniel Wallace is an author who wrote a book called uh, Big... Well, it turned into a movie called Big Fish. Timothy Burton uh, directed it. And in, in the story of Big Fish, when he's a kid, there's a, a lady who's known to be a... They think she's a witch and she lives in this old crickety house in the neighborhood. And they, on a dare, he goes up and they say, you can't go to see her because if you do, she's got a patch over that eye. If you look in that eye, you see how you're going to die. All this freaky thing, he walks up. And I won't tell you the whole story, but he, when he sees her, he, she asks him, do you want to see? He goes, okay. And she lifts the patch, and he stares into her eye. And you see this kid look back, and he goes, huh, so that's how I go. Later on in the story, when his, he feels like his life is in danger, he goes, and all of a sudden I remembered. I thought, hey, wait a minute. This isn't how I go. He wasn't scared anymore. Because he had a knowledge about something that was a guaranteed future. Now, there are lots of little in-between details. Don't know what will happen all the space in between. There's adventure to be lived in there. But there is a, something that's been presented to us. It is an absolute ironclad truth. If you have placed your heart and your life into the care of Jesus Christ, if you've crossed the line of faith and said, I need your forgiveness for my sins, I've placed my trust in you, my life now belongs to you, from that time, he says, okay, I'm going to direct your life, but here's something, I won't tell you all the details in advance, but here's something you know, you can know absolutely ironclad, the one who raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise you from the dead, and he's going to present you in all the fullness of what you can, can be. 
Now, you and I live in a day-to-day world where we don't think about this stuff very often, but can I just invite you for a minute to exercise your mind and your heart? Can I just ask you to think for a moment how that applies to you? It is 2013. Imagine for a moment where you might be 10 years from right now. 2023. How old you'll be. What you might be involved in. Who might be in your world. Who's come maybe gone out of your world. The age of your children. The age of your parents. How old you are. Now, take that thought and go another 10 years. Go to 2033. How old will you be? What might you be doing then? What will your health be like? Hard to imagine, right? But you can at least have guesses. Now, we'd like you to project to the year 2113. 100 years from this day, maybe it's Mother's Day, 2113. Where will you be? All right, the hot shots here go, well, you know, technology, I'll still be alive. Okay, 150 years from now then. Here's what I know. You will not be sitting here. You will not be wearing what you're wearing. You won't be living where you're living. You won't be spending what you're spending. You won't, your, your family won't look the same. You will not be here. You will be somewhere. If you know Jesus Christ, there is a very, very real kingdom. It is as physical and real as this one. It is not just a cloud kingdom. It is a, it's every bit as real. God, God says that these are just kind of almost like shadows of the reality of what that will be. If you know him, you will be established in that kingdom, in the fullness of that kingdom, with the rewards of that kingdom, with the health of that kingdom, the life of that kingdom. And that's only 100 years from right now. Can you let yourself just picture for a moment that that is true? Can you believe it? Really believe it. Know that it's absolutely guaranteed. Know that He is, will present you in all the fullness of who you are intended to be. Now, God has given you a picture of that. The one who raised Jesus from the dead will raise us and present us with you. If you do that, you pull back to 2013 and say, that can have an effect on what your attitude and perspective is on the things that are taking your energy and your time, your heart, your your pain right now. There are effects to that. Paul's going to give some of the effects in his life. Look at verse 15. All, that, all, that's go, all that's going on, he says, all this is for your benefit so that the grace that's reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. See what he's saying there? I believe something to be true. I set my, my focus on it, and because of that, man, I, I, I don't hesitate. I come out and I talk about it. I speak about it. I present it without hesitation, without fear. And when I do that, that's for your benefit, Paul says. You get the benefit from that. Because of what you hear about the message. Verse 16. Here's another effect it has. Because of that, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly, we're wasting away. Sure. I mean, we're decaying. Paul, 
We've been talking about how much pain he's gone through, how much sacrifice he's gone through, how much resistance he's gone through. But he says, you know what? Because my focus is on something that I absolutely know where this ends. I know the team that I'm on at the end. I know how the championship game comes out. Because of that, I don't lose heart. My best, I'm sorry, this, I'm just, this is the best I can come up with this. I, a little bit ago, I watched, the, I watched Super Bowl three, videotape of Super Bowl three. It goes back, to, I mean, it's a painful life being a Jets fan. Very, very painful life. I watched Super Bowl three, the one and only time the Jets have been to the Super Bowl. I mean, that was when you could tell what the numbers meant, you know, little Roman numerals. The Jets were 17-point underdogs to the, to the Colts that day. It's still the greatest upset in championship history. Joan Namath makes his guarantee. They go into that game. No one, no one gave them a shot. And I watched that video again. And I got all nervous. <laughs> I watched, ooh, what's going to happen? And the, and the Colts come down. But you know what? It was different because, wait a minute, 16-7, 16-7. That's the final score. We win this game. It doesn't look like we're going to win this game. But the perspective I got, because I knew the outcome, I was able to go, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Oh, I know something's going to happen, but it's going to be a cool thing. Interception in the end zone. Jets get the ball. They come down. Everson Boozer runs off tackle seven points. I'm like, it was like I was there, man. But I had a different perspective on watching Super Bowl three because I already knew the outcome. I did not lose heart when it looked like they, and it, believe me, they were getting beat up and down the field for most of the first half. They were outgained by the Colts the entire game. But you know, I never lost heart. Why? Because I had a focus. I had a guaranteed outcome. And it changed my perspective on what I was doing. So Paul says, therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly, we're wasting away. In, inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. God is there. He's reminding us of where this is going. He's reminding us of the fact that, that we will make it through this. And then it gives perspective on the pain itself, that he's in his present. Look at verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The future picture is what he's talking to. But he gives perspective on the, on the current ones. And he says, and he calls them light and momentary. We'll come back to that. Light and momentary troubles. And they're achieving something for us. An eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It gives perspective on the present. All right, so it's Mother's Day. And some of you know the pain of childbirth. Right? Some of you know a great amount of pain. Something a man never can fully understand. Except there were a couple guys who are hosts of a, a Dutch television show called Guinea Pigs. These young guys had themselves set up with electronic devices that would simulate the contractions that happen. One of them asked before they went in, they said, will this hurt? (laughs) They said, yeah, it's going to hurt. They said, will we scream in pain? They said, we'll let you find out. The show aired, and this is part, some of the scenes of what happened. Now, this is a Dutch television. (laughs) You hear these guys, it's good that they're speaking Dutch because what they're saying We don't want to translate for you. They go through these contractions. They're feeling it the entirety of the time. Finally, one of them has enough and he quits. The other one continues. And for 
a period of time, he experiences the pain of childbirth. The second guy made it for a total of two hours. And all those mothers in the room right now who have given birth go, two hours? Are you kidding me? The guy who quit first, this is one of the things he said at the end. He said, he, caught, he says that, the only word he has for that is, it is torture. And he says, he wonders now whether he, he should have children with his wife because he does not know that he wants to put his wife, subject his wife to the torture that he only had a small taste of. Now, here's the funny thing. For years and years, it was speculated that women had some kind of uh, hormonal release thing that happened in their brains that allowed them to forget the pain of childbirth. Because the reasoning is, if any woman goes through that, there is no way on earth they would ever choose to go through it again. Studies have been done and said, no, you know what, ladies, you don't have that. There's nothing that's released in your brain. There's no change that happens. But here's what the speculation is. They call it the halo effect. That over time, the focus for... Here's what it said. The happiness and reward color the memory of the preceding pain. The halo effect sees the positive end results and transposes those onto the present prospect. Five years after giving birth, almost 50% of people, or women, remember the birth as less painful than they described it two months after they gave birth. Listen to it again. Seeing the positive end results, you take that and you transpose that onto the present prospect. that's what Paul says gives perspective. Now, that stands in direct contrast to what we mostly do with the current situations we're in. The overwhelming majority of people in this room in life choose to put their focus on the past and let that be the basis for determining how they feel about the present. What I experienced in the past, the pain of it, the, the disappointment of it, the reality of it, colors and affects the way I look at how I'm thinking now. And it makes us hesitant. It makes us fearful. It makes us tentative. It paralyzes us sometimes. God says, you have a future to focus on. You know how this is going to turn out. And because of that, I believed it. And therefore... I translated that how I, how, in how I act. See, here's the thing. Some of us, if we ask, do you want to, you, would you like to uh, invest in, the, in stocks? And if you look at the last five years of the stock market, you would say, absolutely not. That's crazy. Say, if we said, five, you know, would you put some of your money in stocks for five years? A whole lot of us, if we're looking at the past, we go, eh, I don't know about that. But what if I told you? What if I told you that God gave me a newspaper and it was dated five years from today. And it showed the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average five years from today was at 28,000. How would you feel about the investment then? Well, you'd probably think, okay, that sounds like a pretty good deal. 
Well, I don't have that newspaper. I can't make that promise. But here's what we do have. Ironclad, absolute guarantee from what will be true in your life 100 years from now, right now. Absolutely guaranteed if you know Jesus Christ. The question is, do I believe it? And if I believe it, then, therefore, on the basis of the fact that I believe it, I take action now. I deal with what I'm dealing with now. How in the world could Paul say what he says in verse 17 when he uses the phrase, our light and momentary troubles? I mean, if you've been studying this at all with us, and if you know the life of Paul the Apostle at all, what he goes through, I do not call that light and momentary trouble. This man was left for dead after being stoned in public. This man was persecuted and chased out of towns. This man was opposed everywhere he went. He was ridiculed. He was punished. He was whipped and beaten. He was, he was near death because of physical beating multiple times. Light, trouble, light, momentary. He's still carrying the scars. How can he possibly do that? You know how he can do it? He says it later to Timothy and says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, look what he says. I know, go, go back, go back. There it is. I know whom I have believed. I know. And I'm convinced he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. See, here's what Paul knew. He knew that any trouble that somebody had, including the things he experienced, can I just say this, including the thing you're going through right now, including the thing that you feel like is robbing you of your life, including the struggle that you're facing where you're, there's so, so much uncertainty, that trouble has a half-life to it. It has its own life expectancy. And almost certainly, the life expectancy of that trouble is not as long as your life expectancy. That day, a day will come where that no longer pulls on you the way it does now. Paul knows that. He says, I know whom I have believed. And I've entrusted to think things to him for that day. And therefore, it changes my perspective. So here comes the second phrase. Go, go to it now. Here it is. And you're going to see this at the end of this section. It says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Look at verse 18. Right there it is. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. He uses a phrase, we fix our eyes. We make it our constant, consistent reference point for determining what we do now. Everything is gauged in relationship to how it reflects or, or moves toward that focus. We fix our eyes on something. What do we fix our eyes on? This is where it gets tricky. We fix our eyes on what is seen or what is unseen, not on what is seen. Can I say this again? The overwhelming majority of people, including most of us in the room, it's the most natural thing in the world, is what we fix our eyes on is what is seen. We analyze it. We, we navigate it. We predict where it's going. We fix our eyes on what is seen. We fix our eyes on the physical. We fix our eyes on the material, the financial. We fix our eyes on the obstacles that are in front of us because they're real. Because they cause pain in our life. There are enemies that are opposed to us. We fix our eyes on them because we can't ignore them. We fix our eyes on the level of return we get for our investment, the level of opposition we've got. We fix our eyes on the emotions that we're feeling right now because they feel real in our lives. 
See, you look around sometimes and all you can see is uncooperation. All you can see is failure. All you can see is disappointment and difficulty. It's understandable. You're just looking what's in your line of sight. And Paul says, for followers of God who know that there's a kingdom to come that is not just in the sweet by and by, it's where you will stand a hundred years from now, if not a whole lot sooner. For those who understand that, we switch, we, we shift where the fixation of our eyes are. We don't fix our eyes on what is seen, but on what is unseen. What is unseen is the part that's eternal, he says. The part that's not conditional to our a material world. The part that isn't decaying and falling around us. Well, what's he talking about? What is unseen? You know what's unseen and eternal in the room right now? Your soul is unseen and it's eternal. Look across the room. You see somebody else, they have a, they have a soul. That soul will never perish. It will never end. That soul will be someplace in 100 years. That's unseen. It's eternal. You know what else is unseen and eternal? The, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He says that right now his kingdom is expanding from heart to heart. The heart is where the kingdom of, of God is taking up residence. And eventually Jesus Christ, the rightful king, is going to take that and physically manifest it on a physical earth. The kingdom will come and his kingdom will never end. It's eternal, but it's unseen right now. What's unseen but eternal is what God describes when he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Investments based on how you think, how you act, that are for the kingdom of God, that advance His glory and His kingdom and His character, that is unseen. How do you fix your eyes on something you can't see? It happens from your heart. So I want to ask you today, I asked you for a moment ago to envision yourself in 10 years or 20 and then 100. Envision something that you can't see and just ask you, can you see it? From your heart, can you know it? Let that become what you fixate on to the place so that you turn to now what you're dealing with and it gives its perspective on something that you know has a very small half-life. The, the crowd at school that's giving you the hardest time right now, you just wish they'd go to another school, you just can't, you just don't know what to do. That, you know what, that's got a very short little span. It will not last near as long. You know where this is going. How can that give perspective on how you endure that environment? What you do in the middle of it? How you react to it? The job situation you've got with a supervisor that you just is making your life miserable or people under you that does it or a family situation that is just so painful and difficult right now. You know what? It's got a half-life. It's what's seen. Can you see what's unseen? That there is a God who has a kingdom that you can invest in in how you respond to that situation. Focus on it. Fix yourself on it. Some of us have been letting our past be the primary colorer of how we look at our present. 
Some of us have been letting what we see now be the determiner of how we, what we do and, and how we behave. Some of us have um, really good experiences with our mothers, and some of us don't have very good experiences with our mothers. We're aware around here that when we celebrate Mother's Day, it can be very, very painful for some people. People who long to be mothers, who have not been able to. People who have lost their mothers. People who are estranged from their mothers. It can be a very, very tough, painful time. Keeping that in mind, there is something that we long for, that when a mother who is living the right way does it, it gives a picture of what God does with this. See, a mother, a good mother, does not let past experience be the determiner of how she regards her child now. A mother believes in a future for her child that allows her to be a little bit patient, even though it's tough. A godly mother is one who doesn't fixate on the, on the past, but sees a future for their child. And it determines how that mother relates to that child. A godly mother is someone who doesn't j- just focus on the things that are in front of them and let them determine the, the tone of the home. A, a, a godly mother doesn't just look at the clutter and say, that my goal in life is for you to pick up after yourself. A godly mother might have to address that, but a godly mother does not fixate on what is seen. A godly mother is pouring into their child for what is yet to be unseen. The future for this child. The character of the child. And while dealing with the clutter, they still will focus on the heart and developing the heart. That's what God does with me. That's what He does with you. And now Paul turns around and says... That's what we can do with our situation. We can can fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporal. The chairs you're in will not exist a thousand years from now. The home you're in probably won't, some of them won't make it ten. The car you're driving will not exist a thousand years from now. The clothes you're wearing, the job you're in, none of that. Your hair will not exist. Why are you spending five hours on it? But you will. And God says, let the picture of who He has made you to be, where you're going, and what, how you'll be presented, give perspective, even on the painful stuff of today. It will hearten you. It will strengthen you. It'll redirect you. Because what we, what we focus on is not what is seen, but what's unseen. Watch it motivate you to reach out more. To, to represent Jesus Christ, like Sandy prayed when we got done worshiping. To represent Him well in this world. Watch what it does, how that when you make that your focus, it empowers you. To not lose heart, even in the middle of really tough circumstances. How it encourages you and how it gives perspective to how big a deal this thing really is that you're facing compared to the enormity of what is waiting for you. Two phrases that have more to do with your perspective today and this week than any other. The first one again is, I believe and therefore I speak. 
And the second was, so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. I'm going to ask you to close your physical eyes and see with me the throne of God and the presence of the God who made us. And let's speak to him together. Let's, would you join me?